This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Well, I was a Latin and Greek teacher for three years. I was suffering from terminal boredom. This is Ron Garabato. In the late 60s, he was working as a teacher in Boston, and he needed a change of pace. I happened to be reading Parade Magazine, you know, it comes out in the Sunday edition, and there was a section on how you become a Secret Service agent. It seemed like it was a chance for some adventure. I applied for the Secret Service, but they weren't hiring. But the DEA called me up, and said, uh, well, you want to come in and talk to us? They needed somebody to go to Detroit, and I was assigned to Detroit right out of basic agent school. So I drove in seeing and experiencing Detroit for the first time by myself, and it was a bit of an eye-opener. When I got there, it looked like uh, I would think Berlin would look like in 1945. As he drove into Detroit, Agent Garabato looked out the window at block after block of burned-out buildings and single-family homes turned into dope houses. The dope traffic had taken hold very seriously in Detroit. Heroin was probably the main agent in the virtual destruction of the city. And almost from the moment he arrived, he kept hearing about this one particular heroin ring. I had heard about the Eddie Jackson organization, which was a substantial uh, heroin trafficking organization. I decided that I was going to cut my teeth on the Jackson organization. It was time for me to spread my wings and fly. Previously on the show, we told you about how two childhood friends, Eddie Jackson and Courtney Brown, took advantage of Detroit's economic downturn to start one of the city's biggest heroin operations. And then they moved their families to the suburbs. Today's episode, Eddie and Courtney go up against the DEA, and it all comes crashing down. I'm Drew Nellis. Welcome to Crime Town. To all dope pushers, all rip-off artists, it's time to leave Detroit. It ain't my road. Always trying to be slick when they tell us... Yeah, after a while, they start calling the fat man. You know, definitely start calling me field marshal. And on from there, it was more money, more money. What did you think your dad did for a living? Brought home duffel bags of money. (laughs) I did. Because he would literally bring home 
duffel bags, literally army green duffel bags full of money. This is Courtney Brown's son, Courtney Brown Jr. As a kid, he didn't know how his dad made money, but he knew there was a lot of it. And sometimes we'd go down to his office and we'd count money together. You, you would count money with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. What did that look like? Looked like an office with a couple little games in it and a desk full of money. What, what amount of money are we talking about here? Like, how, what, what, uh, in an average count with your pop, how much? Dad, I, would, I don't know. How much money are you bringing home a day if you did all the collections? Maybe about 20000 20,000 a day? That's, yeah. a lot, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, especially in 73 or 72. So I'm trying to picture it, father and son in the basement and just count money. Is this like a bonding moment between you two? Is it- I thought it to be. And with all that money, the Brown family went looking for a new home in the suburbs. And it was only like a 10 minute drive. But once you turned off of eight mile, all of a sudden you just, the homes are three times the size of regular homes and people have well manicured lawns. My dad tells my mother that's the house that we're gonna buy. What did you think? What went through your head? This is gonna be fun. (laughs) This is gonna be fun. Cause it was truly like people lived on television. Smokey Robinson lived down the other street. We'd ride our bike on his grass. His wife come out and yell at us. It was African-American Nirvana. Right next door lived the fat man himself, Eddie Jackson, and his son, Eddie Jr. One of your neighbors was Courtney Brown. Yes. Can you tell me about what- That's my first friend. We were best friends. Did you know that Courtney Sr. was in business with your your father? Not really. I knew they were close friends, but I, you know, at that point, I just thought popped on a lot of property. Courtney was doing whatever he was doing. I really wasn't concerned about money like that. You know, as long as I had it and could do what I wanted. Just like their fathers, Eddie Jr. and Courtney Jr. were opposites. While Courtney Jr. was learning accounting with his dad, Eddie Jr. was causing trouble. What kind of kid were you? Bad. <laughs> I'm running How down the brand new. I'm running down the brand new Rolls Royce to the fork, scratching the side of that motherfucker up because I wanted to go to Circus Circus World in Northland. What was that? It was a toy store, Circus Circus World. I wanted what I wanted. If he was too busy to take me, goddamn I was gonna protest. So were you guys spoiled? <laughs> I would say so. Yes. Do you have a favorite memory of him as a kid? Whew, it's too many. Just give it's me too one. many. Like All, just being able to sit on his lap when he come in the house. This is Patricia Jackson. She and her brother adored their father. And what would that be like? Complete joy. Just, it's hard and to He's playing with you at yeah, the same exactly. time. Boogity, boogity, boo. As a kid, you in heaven. Like, wow. He was... The type of person that electricity jumped from him. It was nothing he couldn't do. When I saw my father, I saw nothing but peace and security and serenity. Because 
anything he ever said, he made come true. But the kid's sense of peace and security wouldn't last long. Because across the street from the Jackson home, a man sat in an unmarked car, watching. Whenever I had some free time, I would, by myself generally, surveil Eddie Jackson. DEA agent Ron Garabato. He started building a case against the Jackson organization by following Eddie everywhere. Eddie's entourage looked like uh, they were refugees from Louis XIV's court at, at Versailles. I mean, they would wear these plumed hats, white suits uh, with knickers, and big sort of pilgrim shoes with big brass buckles. And he was always, of course, surrounded by a, a phalanx of flashy women. I hate to use the expression, ladies of the night, but they were always dressed to the nigh, showing all their assets at all times. And it was one of those ladies who helped bring about the beginning of Eddie's downfall. When Eddie Jackson got busted, his girlfriend was running, carrying the stuff for him. This is Larry Mongo, a legendary Detroit bar owner. If you want to know how something really went down, he's the guy to ask. I can see that lady right now in my head walking through the airport. Letting everybody know. You know who I am, my mama? Because the whole want everybody to know that she's big time, she a gangster. An airline stewardess, a ticket salesman, tipped them off. Said, I think she a crook. Eddie Jackson's girlfriend was arrested at LaGuardia Airport with two kilos of heroin. And Agent Garibato flew to New York City to testify at her bond hearing. Once the hearing was over, as fate would have it, uh, I get on the plane returning to Detroit. And who is in first class but Eddie Jackson and Courtney and his whole coterie. Of course, I wasn't in first class. I went back in, into coach. And shortly after it took off, Eddie Jackson waddles back to the area where I was. I had an open seat next to me, sat down, and started chit-chatting. He used to have a laugh that went, uh, 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 uh. The only thing he said is, I guess we're going to see a lot of each other in the future. Uh, 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 uh. Agent Garibato had come a long way from teaching Latin. Now, his one-man surveillance team grew into a sting operation, run from a cramped room at DEA headquarters. It wasn't the Ritz, that's for sure. There was a lot of equipment there. There would be uh, tapes and backup tapes, and I think there were probably three or four listening devices. Agent Garibato tapped Eddie and Courtney's phones, and then he caught a break. That's when we learned that the shipment was coming in. We were ready. We knew that it would go to the Hubble address. The Hubble address was Eddie and Courtney's dope house. This was virtually a dream come true. I said, we've played with this long enough. Take it down. Next thing we know, police, police. 
Police, police. Courtney Brown Sr. was there that night. Oh, shit. Eddie takes the stuff on the table and throws it up in the air. They threw all the heroin up in the air. Sounds like Eddie panicked. Yeah. Well, he panicked. He threw the shit in the air. And uh, there was powder thick through the air, such that many of the agents who came in uh, got very, very sick and were puking all, all over the place. <laughs> On all of the tables, there was a, a, a scum of, of heroin, which we had to scrupulously uh, collect. Garibato's team caught Eddie and Courtney with five kilos of heroin. And the raids didn't stop there. I was at home on prairie. This is Charles Rudolph, one of Courtney and Eddie's guys, the ladies' man from the last episode. Early that morning, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it said, uh, Charles Rudolph, and I said, yeah, and then it hung up. So I put the phone down, and I knew from that that it was a white person, and I said, I don't know any white people. I had a girlfriend, she was in bed with me downstairs. They was breaking down the front door and the girl was running to the back door trying to get upstairs to her apartment. And that's when they arrested me. Ultimately, the DEA indicted 32 people in the Jackson organization. At the time, it was the biggest DEA bust in history. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now on my way to school in third grade, I pick up the paper like I did every morning. Again, Courtney Brown Jr. And I look on the cover of the paper, and it's a picture of our house and Eddie's house. Why is our house on the front page of the paper? And then I read, drug kingpin Eddie Jackson lives in lap of luxury. This is his house, his fortress, blah, 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 and his chief associate and right-hand man in this enterprise, uh, Courtney Brown, and they live in neighbors in this whole story. And then I remember just still throwing the paper back in the house. And it hit me when I got on the bus that everybody else gets the same newspaper. And that everybody else had just read what I just had read. Eddie Jackson Jr. saw the newspaper that day, too. And I get to school. There might have been maybe 15 kids in the class, only three blacks in the whole school. And we go to Reese's, and this girl, Kim, come up and start taunting me. Your father's a drug dealer. Y'all drug dealers. Y'all, you know, y'all are bad people. You got to leave school and all this. 
I was so enraged and so furious. Me and Eddie Jr. would be outside shooting ball, and the news reporters would come up and see us playing, and they'd be like, Are you, is your dad home? Is your dad home? You're under constant surveillance. Uh, there have been all kinds of stories about your alleged connections with the underworld drug market. What's your reaction, Mr. Jackson? Well, as far as the, the uh, connections, that's 100% uh, false. And uh, as far as the uh, surveillance, I welcome, you understand, anybody who feel like they want to waste their time watching me, you understand, well, then they can uh, just go ahead and watch me before. But I work Here, Eddie Sr. is giving a local news crew a tour of his opulent, very 1970s home, Sputnik Chandeliers wall-to-wall red carpet, and a long row of luxury cars in the driveway. Mr. Jackson, just how did you come to acquire this home in Southfield and your other business interests, your automobiles? Well, I think the law states, you know, that you have to file your income. You know, if I tell you that, you know, then you know my secrets, you know. But as <laughs> long as I file my income, and uh, I think this is what the law states, you know, and I do do that. Do you deny flatly that you are in any way tied in with the illegal drug yes, traffic? Yes, I do. Would you care to reveal just uh, what your business holdings are, how you've acquired uh, this wealth? <laughs> well, if I tell you that, then you know my business. When Eddie and Courtney were finally brought to trial, DEA agent Ron Garabato was in court almost every day. Even though they were in custody, uh, they still had their retinue there, which, you know, the same people with their plumed hats and uh, tight skirts. Uh, we're still there uh, impressing the judges, I'm sure. So when you guys all went into the courtroom, were we all dressed up or? Well, you've come to court like you want. Charles Rudolph again. But one thing I did once that was foolish. You never know, with 32 people, you don't know when they're calling you to stand. One day I wore a medallion with all these diamonds in and Charles knew his diamond medallion wouldn't play well with the judge. They calling me up to the stand. I'm trying to break the medallion, and it's made so well, I can't break it. So I'm sitting on the stand, and they raise your hand, and they looking at this a medallion. Who wants to wear a diamond medallion to a trial? That's stupid, you know, in hindsight. They came out to the house a day or two later and picked all that up. And in the courtroom, Eddie Jackson's entourage gave Agent Garabato a nickname. Whenever I would enter the courtroom, uh, you hear muffled, uh, monster man, monster man. You can tell how pleasant I am, so I have no idea why they called me monster man, but the judges weren't amused. Everybody was convicted. Eddie Jackson was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Courtney Brown to 17. And for Courtney Jr., it was a wake-up call. And how did that feel, knowing that he was going to be going to prison? It's sad. In fact, it's time to grow up for real, for real. I didn't know black people didn't have money until I was like 12, 13, went away to jail. I had no, un, no context that African-Americans were economically challenged in America. 
because for all of my formative years, all the black people I knew did well. What was the moment when you realized that wasn't generally the case? The first summer he was away when we went to go shopping for me to go to summer camp. And we always went to Jacobson's and Hudson's. And I walked in the store called Montgomery Wards and I was horrified by it. I was like, what is this place? Why? Why, Why was it horrible? Because they didn't have a kind of clothes in there that I was accustomed to wearing. <laughs> what, what kind of clothes did they have? This is like what you wear. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I was wearing jeans and a sweatshirt. Courtney Brown Jr. was wearing a pinstripe suit. Did you visit him in prison? Of course. All vacation time went to wherever he was at. Easter vacation, Christmas, right. everywhere, wherever he was at is where we were. For Patricia and Eddie Jackson Jr., the biggest adjustment was visiting their father in prison. I got in there, I didn't want him to touch me. When he first came out, I didn't want him to touch me. Why? Because he left me. Man, don't touch me. See, I didn't want him to touch me. It took him, him playing with me and fucking with me for me to warm up in this or that, you know? You know, so I took it a little hard in the beginning. I mean, you were emotional. What did he tell you? Everything was gonna be all right. He was gonna be gone for a little while, but stay strong, he coming home. These white folks fucking up with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As for Courtney Brown Sr., he did a total of 14 years behind bars. It would be nice to say that all that time in prison changed him. But talking to him today, it's pretty clear that it didn't. I mean, they tried to play all three together, was conspiring with each other. That we had five or more people working for us, which was not true. Only person we worked for was on me and Eddie. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't seem true. <laughs> yeah, but Junior, but they, but they was not. Despite everything, Courtney Jr. and Courtney Sr. are still close, although they don't always agree. Every day of my life, you guys were involved in the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, every day of my life growing up, you guys were involved in the conspiracy. When me and Eddie Jr. were walking around playing, shooting basketball, and you and Eddie and 5 and Bubba. And, and, and Big Willie and you guys would come by and be talking. Those were all conspiratorial conversations. It may have been, but I didn't call it conspiratorial. <laughs> no, there were times like, Big Willie came by the house, Butch came by the house. This was every day. That the was Big Willie didn't work for us. What he did. Did he distribute drugs for you? Yeah, no, he did drugs for himself. We just got it from you guys. Where did he get it from? Us. <laughs> That's a conspiracy, Dad. <laughs> That's a conspiracy. Well, I don't call it conspiracy. <laughs> White folks call it conspiracy. I am calling it conspiracy. What about Eddie? What wound up happening to him? Well, he done time, but he caught a case soon as he got out. Just 15 months after he was released, Eddie Jackson Sr. was sent back to prison. Another drug case? Another drug case. When he first got into it, he like, everybody got to pay their dues. Everybody. We don't care what you're doing. But don't pay the price. I said, what you mean, Eddie? He said, dues is going to jail. That's part of paying your dues. The price is when you get killed or die. Then one day, Courtney got a call. Eddie Jackson died at age 51 of a heart attack. I just dropped the phone. 
and he's dropped the phone. The Jackson organization was out of commission. But here's the thing about the drug trade. Just because supply disappears doesn't mean demand goes with it. What did you do after? Got a job. Because uh, the drugs wasn't what it used to be. The city had started to change then, and uh, I didn't know it. Charles Rudolph says when he got out of prison six years later, he barely recognized the drug scene. The drug industry is the biggest employer of young black men in Detroit. We got these guys, uh, they did murders because they didn't have the sense we had. Drugs is hot enough in itself. Murder gonna bring an investigation, make you hot. If you're young, black, and male, you're more likely to die by violence than any other cause. See, murder draws attention. That's next time on Crime Town. Primetown is Mark Smerling and Zach Stewart Pontier. This season is made in partnership with Gimlet Media and Spotify. It's produced by Rob Zipko, John White, Soraya Shockley, and Samantha Lee. The senior producer is me, Drew Nellis. Editing by Mark Smerling and Zach Stewart Pontier. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Kenny Kusiak. Original music this season composed by Homer Steinweiss. We recorded some original music at Rust Belt Studios in Detroit, in partnership with Detroit Sound Conservancy. Special thanks to Carlton Goals and Maurice Piranahead Hurd. Additional music by John Kusiak and Melvin Davis. An additional mixing by Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Politicians in My Eyes by Death. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Archival footage courtesy of the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University. Show art and design by James Cabrera and Elise Harbin. We've got a great website with bonus content for each episode, like photos, videos, and newspaper clippings, as well as a full list of credits and a transcript. Check it out at crimetownshow.com. Courtney Brown Jr. made a documentary and wrote a book about his dad and Eddie Jackson. They're both called Motown Mafia, and you can find them on Amazon. Thanks to the late Bob Bennett, the Detroit Free Press, Peter Batia, Jim Schaefer, Mary Schrader, Mary Wallace, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, Melissa Sampson, the Detroit Historical Society, Vince Wade, Scott Bernstein, Louis Stevens, and everyone who shared their stories with us. Detroit is an amazing place, and we're honored to tell a small part of its story. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. Sometimes we go down to his office and we count money together. You, you would count money with Alex? Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to picture it. Alex and Drew in the corner office and just counting money. Is this like a bonding moment between you two? Uh, I thought it to be.
you you haven't spoken to Courtney since we started talking, right? No, no, I haven't. Yeah. Okay. Anything you want me to ask him? No, just give him my regards, see how he reacts to that. So Garibato said to give you his regards. Do you want me to pass yeah, on Yeah, tell, tell me we still all right. I ain't got no personal animosity against him. I mean, people do their job. I ain't got a problem with that. So you want me to just say, tell him hi? And send my regards. Say, I say hello to Broadway. 